best friends on a Wednesday morning. Back on track as we ever were. The offseason continues to roll on with varying degrees of commitment to days and times. The point is we bring you content, and we'll get there. We'll get there in the end. It's training camp for the podcast as well. We're getting ourselves back into rhythm, back into tune. I'm Adam Armbrecht, as always, host of the One Giant Podcast, also covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Lockdown Nets podcast, joined by the generational New York football giant fan that is the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Mackowitz. You know, Adam, yeah. this morning I'm I'm lucky enough. Uh, I have a friend of the show, Matt. Um, I'll leave his last name off because who knows if he told his boss whether he was working today or not. Yeah. Uh, in, invited me up for a nice little uh, golf tournament this afternoon. So I'm rocking the, the the golf attire. I'm excited to to get out there and and uh, and swing. I took a vacation day like a normal adult does. You know. <laughs> right. I, I I didn't try to hide what I was I didn't up play to. Hooky. It wasn't days. Ferris Bueller's Day Off over here at my, my <laughs> house, you know. Oh, it's the, mm, I think yeah. it started in the back of the throat, but now it's in the front of the throat, and we know what happens next. I'm not even gonna go into the details, but I will I'll be back tomorrow. Um, I will say over the, the last couple of days, um I, I'm a disc golf uh, enthusiast. I enjoy it. I've been enjoying a lot of interesting games over the course of the Olympics as well, but I saw out in uh, Oregon was the uh, a, a professional disc golf tournament and open. All these, I'm going to keep it clean, MRFers are out there wearing golf attire. Like they're wearing crisp pants with like the shoes and the collared button shirt. You know, what, what happened to the carefree days of just a man with unkempt hair, smelling of patchouli oil, maybe having a toke of the sweet Chiba as he plays a quick nine? before getting back to work off his lunch break. I just, the, the game has changed, Andy, and it, you, and it stings a little. You know, it, it is funny that you say that because it's like, you know, people that play Frisbee were also the people that played hacky sack in, in high school, right? And it's like, you have a certain lane that you stay in. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we have to use these golf courses to play. So let's look like we're Ernie Els or Tiger Woods or whoever you want to say. It's like, you know what? Like, if you're going to go for it, go all in. Like, you, yeah, you should yeah, be wearing like tatty clothes, you know? Hearts. I mean, Grateful Dead just, T-shirt. Like you gotta, you gotta do something different. You know? Yeah, we have. Where's the tunes? Where's no one blasting any music? It doesn't matter. The point is, I've been watching a lot of sports, a lot of very, just very, you know, different avenues, and it's it's upsetting nonetheless. But in speaking of a global perspective, tie that in. How about we go around the league a little bit here for a couple of notes from the NFL. As training camp moves along, we'll get into a small injury for the Giants in a little bit. But you know, training camp is tricky because teams are starting to ramp up and have this sense of what they're going to be this year. And then a little tweak here and a little injury there. And all of a sudden things get really derailed. And there's already a couple of quarterbacks that are maybe dealing with some issues. Yeah. So a couple, couple key ones, first and foremost in the division, Dak Prescott, obviously coming off uh, that terrible ankle injury that he suffered against our New York football giants um, has a little bit of a shoulder issue. And uh, it's crept up in camp. It doesn't sound like it's uh, it's great, but it doesn't sound too serious. The Cowboys have come out and said, you know, hey, it, it's sore. We're gonna we're gonna take him back very very slowly, and with good reason. There's no reason why they need to rush him back during training camp when he's already getting a bunch of reps in and practicing anyways. I think the other quarterback that's much more interesting is the Carson Wentz situation, right? That's so the, Carson- that's- that's the AFC Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah the, now- the AFC Eagles with Frank Reich and, uh, and and Carson Wentz. You know, he has a knee injury that uh, is, he's expected to be out. Uh, I love this. Five to 12 weeks is the, the time range. frame that they're putting on it. The and uh, 
if you see the video of uh, Tennessee Titans coach Mike Vrabel, they're like, oh, yeah, Carson Wentz, do you know the timetable they gave? Five to 12 weeks. He's like, oh, that just so happens that, like, we play both of our games right smack and, like, right when the five weeks start and right when they're like, oh, weird that it's a division that they're trying to, like, play games with, right? <laughs> right. It's, like, so funny. Huh. But but uh, I have a question for you. So right. we knew Carson Wentz was injury prone. This was one of his problems outside of not being able to throw to his teammates when he was in Philadelphia last year, a lot of things um, being a quarterback, you know, the, 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 I know this is not a Colts podcast, but it's a really philosophical question. He's going to be out. They have Jacob Eason. Who's never thrown a pass in the NFL as their backup. They're, ex- they have lofty expectations to make the playoffs and make a run this year. You know, they, their first five games are brutal against people like the Rams and the Ravens. They like it almost impossible. You can't go. zero and five or one and four to start. No. There's a lot of chatter about, how the Colts should trade for one third string quarterback, Nick Foles. Oh yeah. Listen. And I wanted to get your take on it. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, you know, Nick Foles for whatever he is or is not, but at his best was when he was with the Eagles was with Frank Reich there. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's easy to kind of laugh at it and be like, really Nick Foles at this point. But, but I do think that that was the best version of him. And if you're talking about trying to survive, if you get, if you go get Nick Foles and he can run you to a two and three record over the first five games, that's a win. You know you've done your job and there's familiarity there, so he'll arguably he'll be at his best in that system if you give him that look. I actually I think it makes sense. I actually find it more, you know, from the Carson Wentz perspective. He's like I can't I can't get away from this guy. He's like you know I get drafted in Philly, he's there. I go down, he wins a Super Bowl. I come back, he's still there. He's still you know. So I I I wonder if Carson Wentz looks at it as like, no, I don't want you to go sign Foles because what if my injury lingers on? Like I, literally, I could relive this exact same scenario again here with the Colts that I had with the Eagles, where I'm looking over my shoulder and I, I'm not even knocking Wentz being a former Eagle, but the the mental makeup there was a part of what went into the issues with Philadelphia of maybe not being a total team guy, kind of looking at himself as being above other players. So now you're going to introduce this element where you go, hey, we brought someone in just to see how it goes. What do you know? Oh, you're, oh, no, Nick. Yeah, you know Nicky. Yeah, you remember him from the Philly days, don't you? And then all of a sudden, maybe Carson Wentz is having some of the same issues he had once upon a time. That was my first thought. Adam was like, oh, we're going to do this all over again. But then I realized like the NFL's a business. Like they saved Carson Wentz by bringing him to Indianapolis and like trying to resurrect his career because it was it was uh, on very shaky footing in Philadelphia. Like, you know what? Grow up. Stop yeah. getting injured. Stop throwing the ball to the other team, Carson Wentz. Like if you can't beat out third string Nick Foles, who is behind Andy Dalton is behind Justin Fields in Chicago. If you can't beat him out, you don't deserve to start. So bring in another backup so that the team can benefit from it. So like to me, that that it's not a big deal. The one thing I will say is if you saw the Nick Foles press conference, my goodness, he basically was like, Frank Reich is the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. I have never played harder or better than under anyone else other than Frank. He knows me. He gets me. And he like you could see him going really crazy. He goes, as of right now, I'm a Chicago Bear. It's like, it's like, oh, okay, Nick, we, we, we can read between the lines. We know what you want to have happen, but, uh, I've never seen knows someone my pander. Color. He loves the sandwiches. He knows the midnight snacks I need when my tummy hurts and I can't get to sleep. He I watches my dog when I'm on vacation. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, you know, right. so we took a long walk on the beach the other day. It's so, it's so good. I just think, you know, all these injuries around the league are, uh, are, are telling, you know, early in training camp, it brings up all these questions. 
And to be honest with you, Adam, there was uh, the, the chance for an injury at Giants training camp recently, right? Well, there was, yeah, and and this is what makes this is what makes the off season interesting because teams are going to take hits like this potentially, and it, it completely shifts divisions and perspectives on who is going to or not going to make the playoffs. Uh, uh, the quick footnote out of out of Giants training camp was that Kenny Galladay tweaked his hamstring, non contact, and running a route, reached for it, walked off under his own strength, went into the training room, and that in the, in the same way, right? A guy coming off who has some injury concerns, something like that is just where you go, okay, they said no, no big deal. Just let me see you right back at practice the next day, please. Because if you don't, then it just any of these things, I feel like this is that, that perspective of it's a very delicate balance. When everything is healthy and everything's working, it's good. As you start to see these injuries come up, we, Shane Lemieux is on that list. Kenny Galladay with a little tweak. Now you start to the, the structure starts to shake a little bit and you're wondering if the foundation is sound. Can can we just can we just put Kenny Galladay in bubble wrap for like two weeks? Like, like can we just get through the next couple of weeks? I need him to like catch one ball in preseason so that Daniel Jones sees him catch a ball in live action and then bubble wrap him, put him off to the side, ice him down and get him ready for week one against the Broncos. I just can't take any more injuries for any Giants, whether it's minute or not. Now, what you'd like to then probably see is let's keep Kenny Galladay and maybe some of the other key figures on the Giants football team away from the brawls that may break out. And in fact, did break out at yesterday's practice. Listen, I have my perspective on on this in general and, and the way media reacts to these pieces. It happens every year in training camps all across the league. That being said, though, within the brawl or within the inciting, what was the inciting force that led to the brawl? Because I think there's there's a couple of elements inside of it that I, that I do find enjoyable and maybe can be motivational for a couple of players. All right, so you know Corey Clement, who's who's trying to make this roster, catches the ball. He's he's moving downfield. Um, and, uh, you know, as the play's coming down, winding down, Xavier McKinney gives him a shot. A little pop. And, yeah, you know, a little pop. Yeah, we, we just saw the video of it this morning. It's a small clip that uh, Paul Schwartz, I think, uh, has on his Twitter or Instagram. It, it's, a, it's a hit. He knocks him down to the ground. Pro Bowler Evan Ingram takes umbrage with it because that's his teammate um, and shoves his other teammate, Xavier McKinney, basically for saying, like, what are you doing? Why are you hitting him that hard in practice? And then, add to add to another layer of it, Logan Ryan comes from behind and shoves Evan Ingram, a la Patrick Beverly and Chris Paul in in the NBA playoffs, where it's like you see their neck snap back and he like shoves him to the ground, and that leads to an all out brawl. Adam, with uh, with Daniel Jones, so somewhere in the fracas at the bottom of the pile as well. So here's the thing on the surface, for just from the, the the action of it all. Guess what, Corey Clement? That's what you're there to have happen to you. You're there to have Xavier McKinney, who didn't get to play a full season his rookie year, who's trying to get himself into the flow, who's feeling a little chesty. He's our young stud on the defensive side. Pop, take a pop. That's what that's you're there to be a punching bag. I don't know any other way to put it. Like, that's exactly what you're there to do is to have a defensive player feel like he's really hitting his stride. And oops, went a little too far, gave you a shot. Now, I, I don't hate. Evan Ingram coming into it because I just wonder about Evan Ingram's demeanor. I wonder about his dedication, his motivation, right? All the things that we talk about with him as far as being a player that is going to finally meet expectations. I like that he mixes it up and Logan Ryan afterwards. I mean, he had the quote around the idea just to, to paraphrase 
you know, we're tired of losing. You know, we want to win games here. Some of the cliche stuff. But he even went as far as to say, you know, the organization invested money in this team this offseason, brought in guys on both sides of the ball. Like, this is about winning. This is about showing up and, and putting in the work at practice. And, yeah, it's going to get a little physical. In the hierarchy, like, most important this year, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be Xavier McKinney. Then maybe it is, maybe it's Logan Ryan, maybe it's Evan Ingram technically, if you, if you believe in Evan Ingram. And then somewhere at the bottom is Corey Clement. So I think it makes sense. Like that's the hierarchy of how this looks. <clears throat> Evan Ingram, I like you being a good teammate, but you're protecting someone that may not be on the roster in a week. Okay, look. So there's a lot to unpack here and and uh, on what you're saying. I understand what you're saying is these fringe roster guys need to work hard, play hard. They're going to take shots from some of the some of the guys that we know are going to be around here. I get that. Where, where I think you're misstepping, Adam, Ooh. is that Corey didn't care about any of it. If you read all of his quotes, he basically said, like, we all understand the nature of the game. When you get hit, you get oh, you yeah. stand right back up. I've gotten hit hundreds of times. I'm going to get hit again. He goes, the only thing that sucks is, is when you see these hits and then all these shoves, and all of a sudden the brawl goes out. While it's fun to, like, tackle each other and, and pile on, he goes, we all know that we're running laps and we're running and we're doing suicide sprints he's like that actually was the worst part of it for me was like being in this pile of like people <laughs> upside down left and right and like joe judge is screaming blowing the whistle and they're like oh Dennis, we're gonna have to run no 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 it's fine i like getting hit <laughs> no so, well, so i mean by the way that's such a football guy mentality right it's like you could hit me as hard as you want while i'm having the football the thing that stinks is like having to do wind sprints because we all got in a fight, right? Like that's what he was upset about. And they did have to do the wind sprints. They did have to do push-ups, and they did have to listen to a uh, profanity-laced tirade from Joe Judge. And the, oh, so this is the funny thing about it too, right? So, I mean, it's on all sides of it. When they say, ah, this will be a galvanizing moment for this team, any team around the league, I think that's silly. Like and these are all players that are working hard. They're trying to get better. I think that's silly. I think it's silly when they say Joe Judge teetering the line of, you know, being a hard-nosed coach and sounding like a high school high school cheerleader, you know, rah-rah nonsense and blah, blah, blah. Like, all of these perspectives around what it is or is not and what's happening. I think what it, you know, it's good that it gets a little chippy. It's good that it's physical. It's good that players get involved. And it's fine because guess what? Every single player that's coming, it's, it's Corey Clement's comments, right? He knows exactly what's about to happen. He just joined this team and he knows exactly what happens when you do something stupid. Joe Judge is going to treat you like a child. And that, and that I think, is really – that's a part of the perspective from Joe Judge that I think permeates to me and, and why it still resonates with players is when you do something so stupid that a, a mistake that you haven't made since the Pop Warner days, that's when Joe Judge is like, all right, you want to play like Pop Warner? I'll treat you like Pop Warner. You guys want to you wrestle with each other? Okay, I'll treat you like that. And that's why I think it still works when you have that hard-nosed mentality. Yeah, uh, agreed. Now the challenge that we have here is is about one Daniel Jones, right? So like, all these guys are getting into this pushing and shoving match, and Daniel Jones is like, "I'm going to protect my team," and he right. goes diving right into the pile. He ends up in the middle, if not at the bottom of this melee brawl. And, and so like, they interview him afterwards. He's like, "I got to stick up for my teammates. I need the to have the respect." And so like, he's saying all the right things. And like the mentality is good for like any other player. That's not the quarterback on your team. Right. Like, I, I, I don't know. Did, did you feel the same way? Like having him jump into a, a pile or people are brawling. It does not excite me. That is not a really good thing. 
Well, my only thing about it is it's like nobody got hurt in this. And I know like theoretically someone, something could have happened in there, but Logan Ryan isn't planning on getting in there and really punching Evan Ingram, you know, in the rib cage and trying to crack something like nothing is really going on in there that, that, you know, is going now someone can roll an ankle and tweak something a hundred percent. What if someone, what if someone stepped on Daniel Jones's hand? Like a hundred percent, there's no reason for what, what if his body's like this and like some 300 pound lineman turns his shoulder and tweaks his shoulder. It's like there for, for the amount of respect that he got from diving in the pile, the, the risk reward wasn't there. It's like, do you think Tom Brady would jump in that pile? Do you think Aaron Rodgers is ju- is Russell Wilson jumping in that pile? The answer is unequivocally no. They're they're no, not jumping what, in the pile. Guess guess what? Aaron Rodgers doesn't have anything to prove. Russell Wilson doesn't have anything to prove. And I'm not saying that like that one of the boxes Daniel Jones has to check is like is he tough, right? And some of the the, the humorous comparisons to Eli Manning, like, and everyone knows how I feel about Eli Manning. Everyone knows how this podcast feels about Eli Manning. But Daniel Jones is a completely different animal than Eli Manning. You've seen how Daniel Jones looks physically. Like he has muscles Eli Manning was a sweet baby noodle sack slinging Super Bowl rings all over town and that's great like but I think that there is a difference in the physicality of Daniel Jones he's had some injury tweaks here early in his career right but I just I've I've always stayed away from the idea of well not the quarterback though my god you're still playing football right and if you're Daniel Jones you're still a guy that's going to be tucking the ball and running in the upcoming season you're going to end up under a pile of a couple of players that are trying to do some damage to you so i don't hate it and i don't hate it from the perspective of i do like the commentary of i'm not above the rest of my team like hey they're getting into a scrum Ing- by the way ingram right he's been here my whole career i want him to be really good this year for me he's getting shoved I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into it a little bit. And I trust the idea, especially from the defensive perspective, outside of the, the incidental you know, injuries that could happen, that everyone, Logan Ryan and all these guys, if you don't think they haven't gotten the clear message of like, hey, a little, you know, it all breaks out. Everyone's having a good time. A little poke, poke, wrestle, wrestle. Just you roll Daniel Jones to the side. You turn him over like a hot dog on the grill. You roll him to the side and you and you keep going at the meat. Like I, 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 I typically... The quarterback always comes out of these things all right. Uh, as we as we just talked about Carson Wentz getting hurt during a drill, we just talked about Dak Prescott with a with a short uh, sore shoulder. Like people are getting hurt in training camp in non contact injuries. The That's idea of prepared. Daniel Jones is prepared. The, well, the, the idea that listen, these are going to happen in the regular season. Great. My idea is like let's eliminate. The, the amount of them that happen prior to a meaningful game. Like if it happens in a meaningful game and he's diving on a fumble and he hurts his shoulder, like at least it's, it's all for something like saving Evan Ingram. It wasn't like Evan Ingram was dying. In a burning. Evan Ingram. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was jumping into a burning building to go save Evan Ingram. And he got third degree burns on his arm. It, he got, it was a shoving match in practice. It's like, just, just, it, uh, someone, I mean, Jason Garrett, anyone has to pull Daniel's. Well, well, like, well, that's fine too. Like, by the way, D- Danny get- Dimes, it, it, th- I understand that you want to ingratiate yourself with this team, and and you're, it, this could be a building moment. But I will be honest: if you ever do that again, I will slap you upside your head. Like that—that's what has to be said. Well, I was going to say that's probably where we'll, where we can leave a, a relatively fun conversation around around what happened in training camp of. That's where the responsibility lies is like you want to see Daniel Jones being like, nope, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to mix it up with my guys. Like, I'm not going to let someone, you know, on the defensive side push my guys around. And then you want Corey Clement, 
right? Or Evan Ingram, like if he's not directly in it, or a coach to be like, oh, and just, you know, oh, no, Danny, oh, and just slow him down enough so he can't get involved and then things get broken up and, and he's not directly a part of it. And he still gets to be the one that wants to be a part of it with his team without having to physically be in the mix. Listen, it, you know, we come out the other side, everyone makes it. And what do you think about then beyond now inside of this record, we had Evan Ingram, uh, obviously a part of that there. Anything before we get into a little bit of an offensive line perspective footnote, obviously about an addition since last time we were on, but anything around Evan Ingram, the wide receivers you want to touch on first? Yeah, really, really quick. You know, so the brawl took up the majority of, of the headlines, but what is, what is really catching all the beat writers right now is two things. One, and Adam, I, I, we have to unpack this, is they literally said Evan Ingram is catching every single ball that is thrown anywhere in like a five-yard radius of his body. There's a video of, of Daniel Jones throwing one behind him, and he's running full speed and goes and, and turns backwards and makes this ridiculous catch, turns it into a spinning move that would go for a touchdown. He has looked unbelievable in training camp. And and all the beat writers like see all their comments in the comment section of like, yeah, can he do it in the game? Like he has stone hands, all this different stuff. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you other than what I'm watching. And this this guy is catching literally every ball, right? The only thing, I, yeah, I, I, I love it. It was said, you know, he's on the team. I'm, I'm all fully behind him. I want him to do great. I think my the, the easiest question would be, does he catch a lot of balls in training camp over the course of his career? You know what I mean? Like if we went back and looked and, it, you know, do I go, go find the transcripts from the last four years? It's going to be like Evan Ingram catching every ball in training camp from Eli Manning. Evan Ingram looking great in training camp, right? If that's the carryover, then it's hard to put much stock in it. What I'd like to think is that we know that him and Joe Judge, they developed a, a good relationship, a little back and forth repartee. Uh, there was even the, I'm not trying to think of the other defensive player. That, oh, it was Julian Love who's had a heck of an exchange with uh, Joe Judge through the oh, media yeah. around some times at, uh, at the fairgrounds. But maybe maybe this is turning a corner for Evan Ingham, though, right? Maybe the new coaching regime really is looking at him, looking at his skill set and saying, no, we understand that you're this fast guy, you're a wide receiver, a tight end, da, da, da. Let's focus in on what we need you to really be good at. That's securing the ball first. Everything else, your natural athleticism will take over. If we get this box checked, then those things will handle themselves and you'll be a better player for it. That, that, that's where I'd love to think it's going because the talent has always been there. It's, just a, it's a matter of him meeting those expectations. Speaking of talent, you turn it over to the wide receiving room and man, does Sterling Shepard look good. There was a, there was a video of him going against Isaac Yedem and he basically put Yedem in a blender and like had no idea where he was going. And, and the, the, the speed in which Shepard was making those cuts, like I thought it was Kadarius Tony at first, like that's how explosive he looked. And, and Adam, it's never been about his pass catching ability. It's never been about Shepard's athleticism. It's just been about whether Sterling Shepard can stay on the field for the giants. Like, is he going to be there every Sunday? So, I, I, and you know, the way that you talked about uh, looking at, at previous training camps about Evan Ingram catching the ball, I would double down and I bet to say that every single training camp that Sterling Shepard has been a part of, he has probably looked the part because, oh, yeah. you know, no contact, less injuries, all of the things that he does well just shine in training camp, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, again, the number change doesn't hurt. He looks quicker. He looks faster, more agile. We he does. He actually does. You're right. It, it is the number change. That's maybe why I thought it was Kadarius. So I'm like, this has got to be someone new. Like it can't be Sterling Shepard, right? 
Well, well, and by the way, too, I mean, you know, remember, like, he's coming into a potential, you know, end of the contract. He wants to put his best foot forward. Technically, if you think about when players hit their prime, like, he's he's peaking. So you expect him to look really good right now. And if he can stay healthy, I expect him to have a career year now with Kenny Galladay on the field. If Evan Ingram's looking stronger, the addition of Kyle Rudolph, right? Darius Slayton in year number three. Like, this is such a, it's such a bad one-to-one comparison to make. But I like, but think about the way in which a Wes Welker gets was got has been used over the course of his career. Like if he can be quick twitchy in tight quarters, that's where I all of a sudden I think you're gonna see him in that vein. It's it's probably what we expect Kadarius Tony to build into for the Giants. But when you hear the reports that they're not gonna overload Kadarius Tony, and this is going to be a gradual process, as it is for all rookie wide receivers and rookies in general this is a big year for Shepard and every day that he looks great in training camp is another day that I get excited about him in the short term and maybe the long term. Cause we all know that I, I like guys that stick around. I like lifers for the New York football giants. I don't know the chances of that with Shepard, but I sure as heck hope that he puts the giants in a difficult spot after this season. If not for himself, you know, for the team, then for himself and what he'll be able to accomplish in free agency, whenever that comes to pass. Yeah. I mean, that's the tough part is, is you want to see Shepard do well. I would love to see him remain with the Giants. We just know if he has a really good year, that means a really big contract's coming. And when they drafted a first-round talent, and they spent $18, $19 million on Kenny Galladay, uh, the musical chairs starts to get a little interesting when the music stops at the end of the season. Like, who's got a chair? There may not be one available because can you really spend that much draft capital and that much money on your wide receiver room? But Oh, hundred percent. That'd be a good problem to have, to be honest with you. So exactly, yes, exactly. Make it the make it the good problem of oh my god, we have so much talent. It's like hard to choose which ones we want to <laughs> well, keep. Either way, crazy. Good, like, but just like too know, explosive, you know. Uh, like, what exactly. Are we supposed to do with that. Um, now, the last little thing that we'll get on the uh, out, out the door on here in, in the time since we were last on, the Giants did bring in Looney on the offensive line. Has a tie with Jason Garrett from the Dallas days. Can play a uh, guard and center the middle three positions across the, the line there. He even made the joke about having to do some of those little uh, bonus reps from Joe judge and saying, hi, I didn't realize it was a thing I had heard. He goes, no, listen, I could stand to get in a little bit of shape here, you know, still trying to shake off the rust. He's getting into the mix. I only bring it up because listen, you go and look at, we, uh, we, I think we say this too often where we say, ah, PFF isn't the end all be all. And it's not his grades are terrible over there. If you look at them and that's where I think it's a perfect example of, and that's why you don't hang your hat on PFF because he's been a serviceable player on offensive lines for years. He's now in the mix. The perspective I just want to offer here, and it is basically at the end of the day, I was about to hit a a semi panic button here around the idea of, well, you got Shane Lemieux dealing with an injury concern. Now you bring in Looney. Does that maybe invite the idea of shuffling the deck on the inside? And is Nick Gates moving or not moving? Where is Looney going to fit in? Because Looney got reps at center. He's working, you know, underneath with Daniel Jones behind him. So it's all on the table. I, I almost pushed the panic button and then was reminded by pessimistic Mike, friend of the show, of my perspective coming out of last season. And it was that, by the way, footnote, Matt Pert coming in looking a little bit leaner, looking a little bit stronger, ready to accomplish something this year. The idea was if you came into this season and you could check the box of Thomas, I'm saying Gates at center and Matt Pert at the right side. If you can check off confidently three spots on the offensive line, you're in good shape. You can look around the league, right? Teams don't have five studs. What you try to do is have three really upper level guys, and then you can fill in the gaps between. And that's what the Giants need to do. So 
I, I started to get a little bit, you know, where's my brown paper bag to bring myself down from an anxiety attack when Lemieux went down. But now I think it is all right. And if Looney comes in and you do shuffle things with Gates, that's okay too. We just need to have that sense of, are we checking boxes with confidence? Okay, good. Now we can roll into the season. So, you know, I think it's easy to waver and have those concerns. I am now getting back to neutral and seeing how training camp and and the uh, offseason continues here for the Giants. My my thoughts on the offensive line is actually a, a, just slightly different. What I, what I think the Giants are doing is they're saying, okay, look, we don't necessarily know what Shane Lemieux is yet. We don't. Like, we, we gave him limited snaps. We kind of think he's the guy. We don't really know if Matt Pert is the guy yet, right? Like, we, we don't know. We're hoping because that would be huge for the Giants. We really don't know if Will Hernandez is a starting caliber guard in this league. Like, we don't know. What we do know is if those guys are, you know, what we expect them to be, their upside is higher than a guy like Nate Solder. It's higher than a guy like Zach Fulton. It's higher than a guy like Joe Looney, right? Like it's just higher. We those are known commodities that will give us C to C plus, maybe C minus offensive line play in a pinch. So if the world comes crashing down for the New York football giants and all these guys don't work out, our young prospects it's the well, Wiggins like, and Looney's and, and Fulton's of the world you just you just throw those guys in there and you're like at least like we know we know that one out of every five times we snap the ball there's going to be pressure in Jones's face like but that's what we're that like that's the bot when the bottom falls out we have that and we know that we are not going to be worse than this what we're hoping is that with all these young guys that Pert is the guy that we think he is we think Hernandez will be better being on the right side with him we think you know, Shane Lemieux is better than what his pro football focus grade is. We think Andrew Thomas is going to take the next step. We think Nick Gates is the guy. Like if those things come to fruition, great. If they don't, at least we know, like we have the C plus guys that are veterans, known commodities that are sitting right behind them that you could plug in, in any of those positions. Yeah. And I'd like to think that Matt Pert isn't on that list. Like I'd like to think that the giants have confidence in Pert beyond like he has to clearly be well above where they think about Shane Lemieux. I mean, you go back and do the eye test from last year again, likewise for Andrew Thomas, right? Loved his quote when asked about it. He said, run your own race. When they were talking about where do you look when you see other, the other top picks at left tackle, run your own race. So he's trying to do his thing. I like that. Um, and I don't and I don't think that we'll see the shuffling of the deck either, to your point. Like I think that the Looney, it's the Fulton, it's the Wiggins. I primarily look at those two guard spots. That's where I align with you, where you say, listen, do we Shane Lemieux? Yeah, we want it. Do we think that Hernandez can turn this thing around? Yeah, maybe. But if not, we've got three, four veteran guys that we'll throw in there and see who sticks there and who combines with Nick Gates and alongside Thomas best, right? Any of these guys, hey, Looney, if you start clicking with Thomas in training camp. It's your job because we want to know that we can also button up potentially the one, two, three, right? Tackle guard center. So those are the kind of combinations I think they're looking for in camp, but you're not, I'm not far off from you, right? I, I think this is still the idea. It's evolving. <laughs> it doesn't make Giants fans excited to think that, but the offensive line is an evolution and it is yet to come to its final state. I think, I think the, the last thing, and at the end of the day, for me, it's very simple. You bring in veteran leadership behind some of these young, promising prospects that you have because you can't have another young, promising prospect backing up Shane Lemieux so that if that doesn't work, then you bring right. that person in. If that doesn't work, then then what do you do, right? Like, you, you have to have this veteran leadership behind where in case, like, 
in, ca- in case of emergency, break glass. That's the type of signing that Joe Looney is for this offensive line. But let's hope that what we think about the starting offensive lineman is actually true. Very much so, my friend. And as we remind you to follow us on OGP, One Giant Podcast on social media, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast as well. Heard a rumor, Colombo coming out of retirement as an offensive lineman, looking to tap into those ties with Jason Garrett for the New York Football Giants. Until next time, friends, enjoy that round of golf. Watch out for the sun reflecting off those pants. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.